Father, thank you that you're everywhere. You're with us, that you never leave us, that you're here in our midst, that you have come to speak to us, that you have come to hear our prayers, that you have come to hear our praise, to receive our gifts, our offerings. Father, you come to us because we could not come to you without Jesus and his work. Thank you for your son. Father, I pray that um, your spirit would fill this place and that we would, um, that all other spirits, all other voices would be quieted, would have no say, and that you and you alone would be the one that we interact with. I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking um, at the book of Daniel. We've been working through the book of Daniel. And um, it's, it's fascinating to take this Old Testament book, this book of the Bible about a very godly man, um, a man who chooses to live in the kingdom of God rather than in the kingdom of this world. And it's also uh, enlightening as you kind of look through the book about um, the power struggles that go on and and these mighty kings that rule. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the great king of Babylon and he um, and they had... Um, they had won over and enslaved uh, the people of of Israel, and Daniel um, has had some adventures, and so have the people that that spent um, time with him, his friends. They uh, they've experienced the presence of God, but through it all, they've had to maintain their separateness, their holiness, their righteousness. And then it shows how God works in their life and um, and is with them and um, and it confounds this great mighty king. Uh, the Babylonian Empire was huge it was it was a worldwide kingdom. this wasn't just some local kingdom. this was a big thing and daniel has has become highly esteemed in that kingdom um, because he was able to interpret the dreams of um, this great king. And now uh, in chapter 5 tonight, we're going to look at, um, maybe we're going to look at, uh, there it is. Um, we're going to look at um, so someone that comes in the line of Nebuchadnezzar, and it's Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is probably the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he's um, he's a co-ruler uh, with either, we're not sure, with either his uncle or his, I don't know, it's some relative um, of the whole Babylonian empire. And so he has come in the place of, of uh, he's become this ruler, and, um, and he's also, a, of course, a, a man of great power and prestige. In, in the passage we read, you, you kind of came to the last part of the passage, but the first part of the passage is, is a lot of um, 
discussion about his looking back and seeing what his grandfather had done and how his grandfather had lived. And Nebuchadnezzar had really been deeply impacted by God, the God of the universe. He had gone, um, he had defied God, and then he had been humbled and, um, matter of fact, so humbled that he was like a wild animal eating grass of the field, like, and then, and, and just tormented and, and then came back. It's interesting that, um, and we learned this in last week's message a little bit from Michael, that, that he, uh, he, in the end, acknowledges that God is um, the most high God, right? So he talks about, the, that phrase used, is used a lot in Daniel, the most high God, which would lead you to believe that at least he understood from his perspective there were lots of gods, right? And there were lots of gods, and this was the most high God. Daniel's God was the most high God. And so he had had a lot of respect for Daniel, and uh, at least acknowledged the God of the universe. Um, and then his grandson comes along, and it he like ignores all that. He doesn't he doesn't come to the same place that um, of humility, or at least of understanding that there's some great God. And instead, he goes and he treats God as if he's just some other God. And so he takes the, the beautiful gold and silver and all the gorgeous things from the temple, the, the temple that, that, uh, that had been built, and he takes it, he sacks it, basically, tars, tar, and then he takes all those things and he drinks, and he's throwing this huge party, and he's, he's just enjoying himself um, because he can and because he's the Babylonian king. Um, So I want to talk a little bit tonight about generations to generation. I so I have a question. Um, are you just like your mom or dad? <laughs> um, do you look like them? Um, do you act like them? Do you share their idiosyncrasies? Do you have some of their good habits, bad habits? When I ask that question, I kind of look around and some of you are sort of cringing. Yeah. Please, please no. <laughs> um, some of you are thinking, I sure hope so. I wish. Some of you probably feel a deep sadness, a pain because you don't know and can't know. Some of you just laugh and roll your eyes. Some of us are really worried that it might be true that we've become our mother or become our father, right? Some desperately wish it were true. Irrespective of your response, it is important to know that we are, in part, a product of our genes. Part of who we are is dictated by those who came before us. I'm tall because dad and mom were both tall. My siblings and I all have degenerative neck vertebrae issues because Dad had a really bad neck and always had neck problems, right? Just inherited that. Thanks a lot, Dad. Um, no one ever looks at my two very tall sons and wonder, who's their father, right? It just nobody's ever asked that. They kind of doubt. My wife, you know, little five foot four wife, they kind of wonder whether she might be related, but they never doubt that those are my boys, right? Um, 
no one has ever insisted on a DNA paternity test, right? It's just... But we're far more than just our genes. We're, we also inherit characteristics and mannerisms and, and ways of living, ways of being. Um, a few months ago, my older sister Miriam and my younger brother Mark and my little sister Ruth, uh, we all got together in Phoenix uh, for a sibling reunion. It was great. Um, some of you, that would be terrifying as well. But, but for us, it was fabulous. Um, it had been two years since our mom had died, and so we spent a lot of time just reminiscing about her and what she did and, and remembering all her little idiosyncrasies. We decided to cook some of the meals that mom always made, and one of our favorites growing up was tater tot casserole. Now, my mom is OCD. I mean, uh, she was just really OCD. It's just like, wow. And so she had to place all the tater tots in perfect little rows and columns <laughs> on top of the meat, and because otherwise it was just not right. And and so um, my my brother and sister, like, we inherited that, and so we always make tater tot casserole with nice rows and columns, except for Ruth. My little sister Ruth, when we were making it, she just took the bag of tater tots and threw it on top of the... And we looked at her like, are you adopted? Like, were you... You're, you're not one of us. You don't have the right traits. You don't fit in. There's just something wrong with you. There's something horribly wrong. And and we watched in horror as she just didn't care. And And so... Mark and I had to salvage the mess she made. And you can see these first two rows on this, on the bottom here. Those are the two rows I put in. And then it was kind of, it was hard after that. And we were hungry. So we, so, you know, they're not perfect is what I'm saying. Um, yes. But it's not really mom's recipe if it's not done mom's way, right? I mean, that's just, it's not how it works, right? And so... So we have those idiosyncrasies. We have those unique things about us that, that make us us. More importantly, we are influenced by those who come before us in our view of God and who he is and our interaction with God. Some of us, uh, like me, have been steeped in the Christian faith from birth and we've embraced it as our own. Some of us have no background in faith at all, and despite the influence of our family or maybe in opposition to it, or uh, some of us have walked away from what our, how our parents interacted with God. Um, some of us find belief systems elsewhere. Um, some of us find it in the same place our parents did. And in my case, parents and grandparents, and that's the second Christian Reformed church in Pella, Iowa, and uh, eight days after I was born, my parents walked up and before the little baptismal fount presented me to God uh, as, as part of that community, um, a very Dutch Christian Reformed church in Pella, Iowa. Um, my parents had been baptized there my grandparents had come there. It was, it, it was, it's a, it's a system for us. We look at our parents, we look at those who come before us, we look at those who raise us, who, 
who take the place of our parents and, and we figure out things from them. We figure out what's right and what's wrong. We, we figure out what's moral and immoral. We learn the way life should be lived. We learn what's supposed to be and what's not supposed to be. Um, we become, uh, our, our parents and, and those who, who raise us um, become uh, role models for us. They, they, they become examples Good or bad, right? Good or bad. Um, my mom always said, you're always an example. The only question is, are you a good one or a bad one, <laughs> right? Like, do they look at you and go, ooh, don't be like Rod Hugan? Or do they look at you and say, ooh, be like Rod, right? We, um, we're examples. Um monkey see, monkey do, right? Um, we look at um, those who came before us and we begin to emulate them. We, 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 follow, we do what they do. Uh, we look at their, at their actions. Um, for those of you who like to teach your children with words, that's really great. Uh, but they're going to do what you do, not what you say. I know this because I have had children, and they don't do what you say. They do what you do. And they're watching all the time, whether you know it or not. Justin, my oldest son, um, we were, we, when we lived in Phoenix, I was driving them to school, and we had a little bit of a, uh, we, we would take them to school. I, we had a, uh, what do you call them, dry, uh, carpool, there, that's the word, a carpool, and so it was my turn to drive, and I know you might find it hard to believe now, but I was very type A in that, in that phase of my life, and I had things to do, places to go, people to see, I had to get things done, right, and so even taking them to school was like cutting into my day, and so, um, so I was always in a hurry, and one day, uh, we were getting in the car, and as we were driving, um, so Justin and a bunch of his friends, so there's like five or six kids in the car, uh, in the van, and as we're, we're driving, Justin says, hey, we can pretend like we're my dad driving. And he said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. You gotta drive that thing or park it. Come on, man. <laughs> Pick a lane, any lane. I don't care which lane, just pick one. And I looked around and I thought, holy cow, is that what I'm like? You know, like, really? And it is what I was like. It's exactly what I was like. I was always irritated with traffic because it's Phoenix and everybody's irritated with traffic in Phoenix, right? Um, but I was impatient and suddenly I realized my son wasn't listening to or you know, learning good driving skills or good driving behavior from me. Uh, ugh, it was horrible, right? Monkey see, monkey do. He was, he was mimicking me. And if you know Justin, he was a perfect mimic. Um, it was really, really good. Anyway, um, so we have that whole idea that we're, um, uh, we're trying to train up our children like, like, 
the king, the grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, um, has influence on his grandson. Um, there's this thing that happens between generations. And we're, when we have that, I, one of the greatest joys of my life is watching all you with little ones. And they're sitting here. And we think, you know, they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna be trained up. It's awesome. They're going to be trained up in the ways of God. Um, in Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says um, that God invites us to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's a scripture we hear a lot, and I think we kind of misunderstand it sometimes, because um, didn't some of you just that are parents just get really depressed when you hear that, right? Like, I, I raise up my children and they don't turn out the way I want them to. They're, they're, they're not mindful of God. They're not doing good things. They're, they're being like, ugh. And, I, and then you take on that blame, right? I, I, I haven't trained well enough. I haven't done enough. I got to work harder. Um, the, that lie will crush the heart of, of many parents, that if their kid walks away from the faith, that that somehow that that's totally on them and, and their responsibility. A, a really accurate translation or meaning of that is that, of that verse is that kids will grow up badly. <laughs> right? Sin is in this world. We are sinners. We're born into sin. I, uh, we, we don't, we don't, you know, I know kids are awfully cute, but they're not innocent, right? Uh, we like to think they are because they're so cute. Uh, Kathy used to say Derek's only still alive because he was really cute, right? Because he was the naughtiest little boy ever. And she would walk and say, don't touch this. And then he'd walk over and t- touch it. And then don't pull, you know, don't yank the flowers out of the flower vase. And he'd walk over and yank the flowers out. Like, it was like, and he would look at you while you did it, you know, and... And so, yeah, we, but he was cute, so he didn't die. Um, um, so, so we're, so we have that whole sense of, um, if you just, if, if, if you train kids in evil, they will do evil. And one of the ways that we train kids in evil is we abandon them. Another way that we train kids in evil is, is that we, we, don't interact with them, that we don't offer them good things. And, and God is inviting us into a different path. Matter of fact, one, one of the commandments in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, it says, the commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. God gives his law. God gives structure and discipline around us. And he does that for a reason, and it's to shape us into the kingdom. Your kid, don't, whatever you do, don't just say, oh, my kid's going to decide. Hmm, how sad. They're going to decide what they want to do. That's horribly sad. Your invitation as parents is, is to not allow that to happen, to you help them make good choices. You form them, help form them in a way, that, away from the natural way, which is the way of death. Um, I love 
on the screen right towards the end of, uh, be, right before the last song that we sing, there's a screen and it invites uh, parents and caregivers to go get, and it doesn't say your kids and bring them into the service. It says go get our kids, right? And there's a reason for that because at the village we believe that we all raise our kids together, that that we're in this together, that this is a community where we love each other enough to help correct each other and encourage each other and walk each other into faith. Go get our kids, right? Because they're ours. We uh, dedicated, um, little EJ, is he still here somewhere? No, he left. Uh, see, uh, that's how they go. Um, we dedicated him uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, and, and it was great um, to lift him up to God. But you all made a pledge that you're going to love EJ, that you're going to walk with him and help him and teach him and, and care for him and think about him. And if you've been on the Pray.com app, you know that he's been really sick with the flu and has had to go to the doctor a couple of times. So I hope he's been in your prayers and your concerns, right? Because we love little EJ. And so we're called as a community and we're called individually to love and nurture and care for our children. Allowing your children to make their own choices simply allows them to fail and to suffer. You, you discipline them like God disciplines us, not, not to hurt us, but because he loves us. King Belshazzar and his grandfather, um, King Belshazzar doesn't train up his children in the ways of the Most High God. He acknowledges them, but he doesn't train them. He doesn't train his son and his son's sons and his, you know, their uncles and whatever that whole relationship is. In that community, it doesn't, he doesn't do that. And so, grandson Belshazzar isn't trained in the way. And you think, well, okay, that's, that's choices, right? We make choices. And what happens when we don't interact, then this world becomes a really discouraging place. There's a lot of despair and a lot of pain. And so we cover that up, right? We we cover that up with eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow they may cancel your credit cards, right? Um, we, we want, we, we make bad choices. We choose to, this is all there is, and so if this is all there is, then who cares, right? That leads to despair. Belshazzar is partying. He is, he is the king of the partier. He is eating and drinking and being merry. Um, the city of Babylon um, is an amazing city. The, the walls of the city are so wide that they can have chariot races around on top of the wall, right? So it's this huge walled city. The, the Euphrates River runs through it. It's this huge, um, huge huge city and is considered impenetrable like nobody could overcome this city this is the greatest city in the world this is the city that that shines 
It's everything that the kingdom of this world has to offer. And Belshazzar is in that city, and he is partying. He gets all the the folks to come and, and to drink with him, and to eat with him, and to celebrate just how great God, his God himself is, right? It's it's a party that is horribly sad because we know the outcomes, right? But it's an amazing party. It's it's huge. And he goes and he takes these beautiful things that were dedicated to God, that were offered to God, that the Israelites had offered to their God as a gift, and he takes them and he desecrates them, and he treats them as if they're just garbage. And he laughs and he mocks the God of the universe. And in the middle of this great grand party, when he's all excited about the beautiful things that that are going on and how great it all is and how great and wonderful he is, this hand starts writing on the wall. We use that phrase a lot, the handwriting on the wall, right? It's it's a phrase, uh, you know, and, and it's like, oh, this is bad news, right? This there's bad news happening, except no one no one can can understand it. No one knows what it means. And somebody remembers that Daniel could interpret dreams, that he could interpret uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, and so maybe he can come and and offer this great thing, this knowledge. Daniel's probably in his 80s at this point. He's a pretty old guy. Um, he's he's well past. Uh, he's he's still respected clearly in the kingdom of of this world, but he's but he's not. He has position. He has status. Uh, he's been over all of the soothsayers and the wise ones and the and the brilliant folks and the magicians. He's he's powerful. Um, so they call him, and he comes and he tells um, Belshazzar what it means, and he tells Belshazzar that you know what? Look, you saw what happened to Grandpa. You saw what happened to your grandfather. You saw it. You have no excuse. You you saw what happened. You saw that he was turned into virtually an animal, that he was eating grass out on the field. You saw all that. You were aware of it. And it didn't move you to turn to the Most High God. It didn't change your behavior. It didn't have you then acknowledge that God is the God over all. And instead, you ignored it. And then Daniel says, and for that you will die. This very day. Now, Belshazzar is terrified, and he's, he's, he's completely terrified by, by this, this. But he but he still, even in that moment, is not into, oh, okay, I'm deeply sad and sorry, I repent. He, he doesn't. He does keep his promise. He had promised that whoever could reveal the, the meaning of these words and, and reveal what the hand had written, 
who, to him, he promised that they would become third in the kingdom. That was because he was second and, and co-leader uh, with uh, probably his uncle. And so he, Daniel would be third in the, in the kingdom. This is Belshazzar's path, right? Belshazzar uses power. Belshazzar knows how to manipulate people and use people. He, he wants something. He wants information about what this writing means, so he figures out a way to do it, and he uses his power to call Daniel forward, and, and, he, and he, he feels like, or he gets this whole uh, beauty of, I'm, I can control my destiny. I'm in, I'm in charge. So he uses power. But he doesn't see reality. Right outside are the whole tribes of the Medes and the Persians waiting to attack this city. They're going to tear it apart. They're going to rip it to shreds. The, the kingdom is over. It's right outside his door, but he's so blinded by his own power, by his own control, by his own greatness, by his own godlikeness, that he doesn't see the reality. And he ignores the warnings. He doesn't heed them. He doesn't listen to them. He ignores them. And he doesn't engage with Daniel in some meaningful way. He doesn't try to find a way. And instead, he makes it all about himself. It's all about him. And here's Daniel's path. Daniel rejects power. He knows that power is meaningless unless it's God's power. He simply submits himself to God's will and God's way. He speaks the truth. He opens his eyes to what's truly going on. He is aware. He heeds warnings. He engages with truth and he makes it all about God. making it all about God. It's interesting because Daniel becomes, um, well, he's because he answered the question correctly, Belshazzar keeps his promise and makes him third highest ruler, right? Puts, gives him a scepter, puts a robe on him, treats him, uh, gives him what he promised him, because um, that's what power people do. They reward people who help them. Um, so it's interesting that, that he becomes the third most powerful man in the, in the whole Babylonian empire. How do you move from being a slave, <laughs> a slave from Israel, to becoming, it's really not the third most powerful man in the kingdom, right? He actually becomes the second most powerful man in the kingdom because shortly Belshazzar is killed and... So for a few hours, likely, <laughs> number two in the entire known world, right? You're the second most powerful person in the world, in the known world. But it means nothing to Daniel. Because for Daniel, it's all about God and his kingdom. Daniel doesn't compromise his principles if you want to become a powerful person in this world, 
You don't do it by compromising principles. You don't do it by cheating, by being dishonest, by conniving, by scheming, by, by getting it through violence and force, by being charming, by, by uh, achieving position out of um, ambition or some great entrepreneurial initiative. We're, we're, we're like that, right? There's that, there's that part of us that wants to, to get power over our lives and we want control over our lives and we want to do those things. And, 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 we, and when we do that, we're on the wrong path. We're on the path to making ourselves gods instead of honoring the gods, the God of the universe. kingdom of Babylonia, the Babylonian kingdom lasted probably just a few more hours. The invasion came. Belshazzar died. And another king took his place. That's the way of the world. We fight so hard to have power and prestige and position But the call is to live a life of godliness, to be a slave to Jesus, to follow in his ways, to teach that to our children and our children's children from generation to generation. Which kingdom? We make that decision every day and we make it in little ways and we make it in huge ways, right? We're tempted by idols, we're tempted by power, we're tempted by status, we're tempted by money, we're tempted to... to God says, in my kingdom, if you bow your knee to me and not to the gods of this world, I will lift you up, I will hold you and care for you. And that's what he does for Daniel and that's what he does for us. Maybe a question or two, push back. Any response? Rod, tell us more about tater tot casserole. All right. Let's pray. Father, um, help us to be like your servant. Daniel. Help us to um, turn away from all the good things, the things we kind of want, the power, the, the control. Help us to turn away from um, the kingdom of this world that crumbles, that leaves us with nothing. Father, help us to train up our children in your ways. Help us to teach them your word, not with our words, but with our actions. Help us to teach them to read your word, not with our words, but with our actions. Help us to teach them to pray not because we told them to, but because they see us do it. Help us to teach them to do what is morally right and correct, 
when no one looks and they're watching us. Teach us your ways. And Father, when we mess it up, and we always do, when we mess it up, correct us, change us, and invite us deeply into relationship with you. Father, help us to look to those who came before us for the beautiful models of faith and goodness and graciousness that they are. Thank you that you put people in our lives that invite us to come to you. And help us to be that for our children and our children's children and our children's children after that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.